Well, as I said, today is a, a day of rejoicing. Uh, here at Rock Valley Bible Church, we install two elders, Ryan Brown and uh, Brian Mulder. And we have some family here today. Glad to have you here today. And uh, I just want to thank you, parents, um, for what you've done in the life of your kids. Just, uh, just never underestimate just the impact that you're going to have in the life of this church as you've uh, dug into the lives of your kids. And um, just I know that that's huge. I, I think of my father's influence on my life and uh, the influence you've had on their lives. We just thank you, um, particularly as you've pointed them towards Christ in, uh, in a great way. We are your debtors, so we thank you for these guys. Well, in uh, appointing elders, we are following just the pattern of the New Testament. Uh, the early church uh, appointed elders in every church. Um, sometimes it was a slow process, as in the, the case of the, Titus, where there were churches on the island of Crete that had no elders. And uh, apparently people had come to Christ and begun meeting together in a church, and there was assembly of people gathering, and they were called to church, but they didn't have any, any elders just gathering there. And uh, Paul gave Titus his task. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. They're gathering together, and he says, you need to appoint them. We don't know how long that was, whether it was years or months or, or how long. Um, but it was slow, probably, because Paul saw the need for these gathered believers to have elders to watch over them. And sometimes the process of appointing elders was, was faster. In the case of the first missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas established the churches in Lystra, Derby, Iconium, and, and Antioch, within a few weeks, probably, is when, according to Acts 14.23, they... They appointed elders for them in every church, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed, and that's what we're doing today. We are presenting elders. We will pray over them, laying hands on them. Darren and I will, and appoint them, and we will have then four elders. Right now we have two, just Darren and I, and soon we will have four, doubling our numbers. Now, there's nothing magical about the numbers of elders, except that uh, a bigger church requires more elders, and a smaller church requires fewer elders. And we simply need to seek the Lord regarding the spiritual leaders of our church as more leaders might come. But supreme above everything in appointing elders is character. That's why Paul said to Titus after telling him to appoint elders in every town, he said this. He said, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The overwhelming thrust of the things that Paul told Titus when, when installing elders, when appointing elders, look at character. Because that's the thing that, that qualifies a man for leadership, is his marriage, his children, if they are in submission to him, where, where he himself is blameless in character, not angry or arrogant or violent or greedy, but loving and holy and disciplined. And the only skill that, that Paul gives comes in verse 9 of Titus chapter 1, has to do with the handling of Scripture. He says, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. He must know the Scripture. 
He must be able to teach it. He must be able to apply it and reprove those who are contrary to the Scripture. Well, this process with us, with elders, started eight and a half months ago, March 4th, almost nine months ago, 2018. We presented Ryan and Brian as elder candidates, and I read from Titus chapter 1 and asked for your feedback regarding the things contained in there, their character primarily. Um, asked you to look at their life and their marriage and their kids and their ministry and how they handle Scripture, and I, I asked you to come and talk to me, uh, talk to Darren uh, about them. And I, some of you, and there were some concerns um, over the next few months, I believe we dealt with those concerns, and uh, I believe that we worked through those as a church, and uh, I believe this morning we are totally united in what we are doing that doing this morning. And I say that because beginning in uh, September, um, I started calling every family in the church, or at least every family that was here in March when we presented them. And so I had 35 conversations with people about Ryan and Brian. My, my typical line was something like this. As you know, back in March, we presented Ryan and Brian um, as elder candidates, and uh, we are nearing the end of that process. And as our pattern at Rock Valley Bible Church, we're not voting, we're seeking unity in things, and so we're seeking your feedback. And so I'm calling every family, and, and back in March, we set up a process uh, about that. But I'm calling you because you've not given me any feedback. And uh, so I just want to hear from you any commendations or questions or concerns that you have, either with them or about the process. And then I was quiet. And I was all ears. And, you know, like whenever you have a conversation, you just have a lull. Then they'll start talking probably. And, and that's what I, what I did. And, and the response was overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly affirming of their character and their ministry. Here are just a few things that you all said. Small sample size. Said, I'm 100% agreement that these are great guys. They are godly men who will be a great addition to leadership. Everything that I see in them, they hit the mark as far as I'm concerned. They're both great. They're both strong men of the word. I think these two men will make a great addition to the elder council. My wife and I are 100% on board. The reason why is that they're two of the best candidates in the church. It doesn't change a lot what they're doing, which is the way it should be. They have stepped up to the plate already, showing godly leadership they're receiving their spiritual leadership. Those receiving spiritual leadership are responding positively. We are highly supportive of each candidate. I don't have any issue with them. They have shown their hearts. I think that they will make very good elders. From day one, I had no concerns. They are godly men with great families. There's nothing in their character that makes me worried about them. I am completely supportive of both of them. I'm 100% behind both of them, both of those guys. I think that they are top-notch. I've interacted with both of them. They are godly. It's kind of the flavor of the conversation. You know how encouraging it was for me to have those kind of conversations with all the families of the church? There, there's times because you, you will say something about other people, whether good or bad, not to their face, that you will say to someone else, and I got to hear so much good. And that's not everything was positive because there were two concerns brought up. And the one was something small, mentioned by one person only, admittedly nitpicking. Kind of like, you're looking for a fault? Well, let me, here, here's a fault. He said, it's totally nitpicking, but I'm fully supportive of Ryan and Brian. However, uh, another concern was brought up by about a fourth of you. Um, 
so I'm not sure, 35, I'm not, eight families, something like that, brought up just the concern has to do with their age. These are younger men. Um, how can they be identified as elders? And so this morning, as I preach an installation message for Ryan and Brian, I want to address this concern because it's the biggest hurdle that you both will overcome in being a, a good elder. And the good news is this, though, is it's, an, it's a hurdle that can be overcome. It's not like some insurmountable wall that you'll never be able to to go over. It is something that can be over, um, can, can be overcome. And uh, because it's a hurdle that Timothy had to overcome as well. We see that in the book of First Timothy. So if you haven't turned there, First Timothy 4.12 is right there on the text. It was right there on the screen. Uh, you probably know where I'm going for sure. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you Forgot one, you can take the Bible in front of you, the pew and Bible in front of you, page 992 is there. And I'm just going to look at this one verse, 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Here we see Paul acknowledging the youth of Timothy. He's telling him, you are young. But let no one despise you for it. And and his solution to that is to live in such a way that your youth is not despised. Because when you you live in such a way that is in your speech, right, or in your your love, conduct, faith, and purity, you, you won't be despised if those are lived right. So Paul tells Timothy, let your speech be such that your youth is not despised. He says, let your conduct be such that your youth is not despised. Let your love be such that your youth is not despised. Let your faith be such that your youth is not despised. And let your purity be such that your youth is not despised. Now, the very fact that Paul gave this exhortation means that Timothy was a young man. He was facing the pressures of ministry. In fact, Timothy was a pastor. He was a pastor of the church in Ephesus. You see that back in chapter 1 and verse 3. Paul said, I urge you, Timothy, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia that you remain at Ephesus. So he was going to remain at Ephesus and pursue his pastoral ministry. Particularly, look what he's told them to do. He says, you remain at Ephesus, verse 3, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And that's the work of a pastor. The one that, uh, that with authority rebukes those in the church or teaching strange doctrines. And with kindness teaching people towards love and faith. The whole aim and end is, verse 5, love that issues from a pure heart. And in chapter 2, Paul's explaining to Timothy how a church should function. The only reason he's writing to Timothy about how a church should function is because he's a pastor. This is what's called a pastoral epistle. He says, prayers should be made for all peoples, chapter 2 and verse 1, particularly even for salvation, because Christ is, desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, because Jesus is the only mediator. And particularly, the men ought to lead this way in prayer, in verse 8, and the women should live in quiet submission. And these are instructions per- pertinent to Timothy for his pastoral duties, his pastoral role, teaching the church how to function. And then he gets on to leadership in chapter 3. 
Presumably because Timothy will be installing leadership. And he says, let me tell you about leadership. He says the qualification for an overseer. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires or aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, but must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And and the reason why Timothy needs to know this is because he needs to identify men who he's going to appoint, and character is everything. And in fact, this list is the reason why I called every family in the church, essentially asking the question, do you see these qualities in Brian and Ryan? An answer which all the families of the church overwhelmingly affirmed In fact, every single family that brought up a concern about the youth was also quick to say, but I affirm them absolutely in their character. And and verse 7, though, it's interesting. It takes it beyond just people of the church. It takes it to people outside of the church. It says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. That is, those outside the church, so that he may not fall into disgrace and snare of the devil. This is why I talk to the co-workers of Brian and Ryan. In Brian's case, I took two of his staff out for lunch, one of them a Catholic and one of them not a churchgoer at all. I think um, she'd been to church maybe in a church building maybe twice in her life maybe. It just church doesn't, doesn't even compute with her, which is that's an outsider, right? In the case of Ryan, I took one of his co-teachers out for breakfast who attends a mainline denominational church. Um, <clears throat> but in each of these conversations, I explained our church I explained how we're half children. I explained how we're a family of families. And, and I explained the role that you've got elders and you've got deacons. And the elders are spiritual overseers. And the <clears throat> deacons are more the physical overseers of things. And, and, and I talked about that. And I, I brought my Bible to our, our restaurant. And I, I sent it out. And I, and I read from the Bible so they would hear, hear it. And I said from verse 1 that, that Brian and Ryan are aspiring to the office of an overseer. And I talked to them about how important the, the character is. It speaks then about <clears throat> everything that an overseer must be. It speaks about his character. So, thanks for coming, right, to breakfast or, or lunch or whatever it was. And, and verse 7 says he needs to be well thought of by outsiders, those outside our church. And so I want to know how Ryan deals with his fellow teachers. What's his reputation like at the school? And how does Brian deal in his office? And what's his reputation among his clients and his staff and things like that? And, and so I began working through those verses. And I said, well, verse 2 says an overseer must be above reproach. And, and I asked them, well, just a general feel. What, what, what's Ryan, how are Ryan and Brian at work? What's their reputation? How do people see them? And they told me. And after that, I said, well, there must be a husband and one wife. And literally, that means a one-woman man. He has a passion for his own wife, right? He's not a womanizer. And so how does he deal with the women around the church or around the office or at school? Like, like have you ever seen um, Brian or Ryan flirtatious at all? Right? Do they ever make inappropriate comments towards women? Are women uncomfortable around them at all? 
So I got, got that sort of feel. And then we went to the next one. They need to be sober-minded. And I explained how that has to do with a, a man's demeanor, controlled by his mind, not his emotions, right? When the tension rises, it's, it's not the emotions. So I said, have you seen, seen them angry at work? Um, how do they do that when difficult situations arise? How do they deal with that? And the discussion over a meal, right? We worked through the rest of the passages kind of like that. I took one, and, and they said. And they, and they felt really proud and honored <clears throat> to be able to speak about you guys. They love you guys a lot. Um, so that was good for me to see and know. And, and I knew that. Right? Uh, I remember someone before uh, things came out about whatever, Ryan and Brian, and just said, what's it? I said the process is going to be slam dunk because I know what they're like. And just an opportunity for other people to, to brag on them. And that's, that's really what it was. But over our discussion of the meal, I, I really talked through the, the rest, of their, uh, rest of the passage. And um, I even, even talked to them about uh, um, just how, how, they, how they deal with people outside. Um, and, and people look up to you guys at work. I'm very encouraged by that. And also, it's interesting, as I explain these things, I had a chance to share the gospel with all these people. I mean, just, just especially just talking about it, church or what it's about. And I said, no, the whole purpose, the reason why we're here is because Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And we believe in him. And by believing in him, our sins are, are wiped away. They're cleansed. And we're here not, not because of some obligation or some duty that we're doing, but we're here because we love Jesus. And that... that filters down through our family and into the lives of our people. We're just seeking to walk godly lives, walk in harmony with the Lord. And so it's a great opportunity, and I knew this, a great opportunity for evangelism and reaching out to these friends, these co-workers of theirs. And it has prompted some conversation, I, I know, afterwards, and perhaps the Lord will, will use that. Um, but even before we go on, I, I trust that you see here in First Timothy chapter 3 that uh, the qualifications here are almost exactly the same of Titus chapter 1. And I'm not sure you noticed, but in chapter 3, verse 1, it speaks here that using the term an overseer, whereas in Titus it used the term elders. It's because an elder and an overseer are really one and the same. It's talking about the, the same office. You, you could throw that into the, the word pastor into that mix. Spiritual leaders of the church, pastors or elders are overseers. Um, it's a contrast to the office of deacon in verse 8. Uh, those are different offices. That, that's talking about more physical uh, oversight, where the, the pastors are more spiritual oversight. Now, certainly there is overlap, because pastors involve themselves in physical things, and deacons involve themselves in spiritual things, especially like benevolence. That's a highly spiritual um, issue there, oftentimes. Um, but again, it's all focused on character, and, but it is uh, about elders, our overseers, our pastors. You, you see, listen carefully to Peter, First Peter 5, 1 and 2. Peter said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that's to be revealed. He says, I'm an elder. I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. He says, To shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exercising oversight. Peter's addressing the elders. He's telling them to shepherd, that is to pastor the church of God. How? By exercising oversight. Oversight, overseers, pastors, elders, they're all the same thing. And, and what Darren read in Acts chapter 20, he's talking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the elders, God made them overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained for his, with his own blood. You can translate that care for the church as pastor the church. So the elders 
said God made you overseers and your role is to pastor the church. So these are all the, the same sort of person, the same office, different names. And so as we install Ryan and Brian as elders today, they're really becoming pastors of Rock Valley Bible Church. And if you want to call them Pastor Ryan or Pastor Brian, you go right ahead. Um, I know they, they might enjoy that as much as I enjoy Pastor Steve, which is okay. You, if you want to call me Pastor Steve, it's fine. You call me Steve, that's totally fine. You want to call him Brian, you call him Brian. Um, but that is an acknowledgement that they will be pastors of, of our church. Now, we play different roles. Um, because I'm paid by the church. Pastoring is my full-time job, which naturally gives me more time in the shepherding role, allows me to take more responsibility in the, the leadership uh, of the church, but it doesn't make me any more important. Because we're all pastors and we're going to all continue in our, our shepherding work. But Brian will focus on the youth and, and Ryan focusing on the music. And Darren's got his hands in a lot of things. And I'll continue my leadership role. But, but we are all pastors together. It's a unified pastor board. And Brian and Ryan and, and Darren are not paid for their work of the church. Uh, where I am paid. And I like to say this. Well, I'm, I'm paid to be good. And they are good for nothing. <laughs> well, First Timothy four. Let, let's continue on in this in this chapter. We see w- describe what a good pastor does. The, the first five verses just describe the dangers of the false teaching that comes into the church, and then Paul continues, beginning of verse six, with twenty characteristics of a good pastor. He says a good pastor will point out false teaching. To the brothers, he will warn the flock of deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. He said in verse 6, right? If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. And what are the things? That's just one, chapter 4, verse 1. Huh? The Spirit says in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Right? Bring those things up. Teach those things to your congregation. In so doing, you'll be a, a good pastor. A good pastor will feed on good doctrine and follow good doctrine. Verse 6, being trained in the words of the faith, right? Eating up, right? feeding on the good words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, following the good doctrine. Uh, a fourth characteristic of a pastor, Darren brought up very well. Um, a good pastor will avoid unprofitable doctrine but be disciplined for godliness. Look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, Train yourself for godliness, for bodily discipline is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. This is a trustworthy statement and deserving full acceptance. If you're keeping track, number six, characteristic of a good pastor is toil, and seven is strive, and eight is a hope set on the living God. That all comes in verse 10. For to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. A good pastor will command and teach. Verse 11, command and teach these things. And then we come to our verse, chapter 4 and verse 12. A good pastor will set a good example. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct in love and faith and purity. Verses 13 through 16 are more characteristics. He will read and exhort and teach. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. A pastor will rely on God's gifting. Verse 14, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. A good pastor will rely on God's gifting. I'm sorry, will give attention to his work. 
Be immersed in his work. That's what verse 15 says. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. A good pastor will keep watch over his life and over his teaching, persist in the work and have gospel success. That's verse 16. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you'll save both yourself and your hearers. All these things, right? What a good pastor will do. So it's even just further talking about how Timothy is a pastor. He is an overseer. He is a shepherd. But I want to hone in right here on verse 12. And would we be expositing through 1 Timothy someday and we get to this chapter? I'm sure I'd treat 1 Timothy chapter 4 a bit like I would treat uh, Romans 12. Right, just some application, just kind of going slowly. And today we'll have a little bit of time to go slowly through verse 12. And at this point I really want to turn to Ryan and, and to Brian and to, to address you guys, to talk about your youth. And I, I simply say this, that, that you are young, and nothing you can do can change that, except waiting around. This is different than any other characteristics that uh, you, you can change maybe in your life, but you can't really change this one. But you can do some things to help minimize the, the despising that might come upon you or the others that look down upon your ministry. And that's setting a good example. It's the title of my message, right? Set an example of what a godly Christian life looks like. And as you preserve in this and you continue on, you grow older, you know what good news is the criticism of youth will, will slowly fade away. And, and I think I've experienced some of that, just so you know. When I became an elder... I was just like both of you guys. I was uh, working full-time in the computer world, uh, overseeing a lot of the technical aspects of a computer network um, and software in a hospital in DeKalb. It consumed 45 hours plus of my, my life every week. I, I had a young family with two children at the time, super involved in ministry, leading worship, leading small groups, and preaching on occasion. Sound familiar? And uh, this is what my family looked like when uh, I became an elder. <laughs> so that's you. <laughs> it looks a little different nowadays. Um, so there he was. I can't remember exactly when I became an elder. Uh, I think I was 30. Um, because I, I remember this youth question being addressed to me, like in the process of becoming an elder. I said, well, how old are you, Steve? And I said, I'm, I'm 30. Okay, well, at least that, that kind of like gets you in the 30 decade. So that was, that was helpful. Um, so kind of just, just dealing with that. But that's younger than both you guys are today. Um, I do remember that I was 31 when the church started. Because we had our first public meeting July 2nd, 1998, 20 years ago. The first meeting in Rockford. We're praying that God would raise up a church in Rockford. And a few years later, I quit my job. I think I was 34 probably. It was when I quit my job. No, don't quit your jobs unless you go into ministry, maybe. Um, but I quit my job. And, and, and you know, who knows? Who knows what will happen? But I quit my job to, send, to go and plant a church. And uh, what we see today is the fruit of 20 years of, of labor and when I began this work, I was younger than you. I had fewer children than you guys have. You have three. You have three. I only had two. Uh, Hannah was born in the process of, 
us starting the church, I think. She was born in DeKalb, though, right? Okay. Um, but we had started the church. We'd started meeting up here before she was born. Um, and by God's grace, I did all that I could to let no one despise me for my youth. Um, in great measure, right, that was to try to set a good example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And I can't tell you how many times in the context of pastoral ministry, more in the early years than in the latter years, a uh, new visitor would come to church. I'd come up and I would greet them and talk to them. And uh, they would say, my, you're young. <laughs> or how old are you? Or you don't, you look young. Um, but o- over the years, as I, I've become older, the despising of youth has become less and less because age does that. I, I remember a good pastoral friend of mine talking about his own gray hair. And he talked about how much that helps him in the ministry. He told me how it just brings respect and it brings credibility. Um, It's kind of like what 1 Timothy 4.12 is talking about. Without the gray hair, the respect maybe doesn't, doesn't get there naturally by looks. And it's an entirely biblical thing. The Lord told Israel, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. You shall fear the Lord, I am. You shall fear your God, I am the Lord. As Proverbs 16.31 says, gray hair is a crown of glory. It's gained in a righteous life. Now, I don't have gray hair, though if you look closely, I I am getting a little bit. But I'm blonde enough that it kind of washes things uh, out uh, a little bit. But my my hair is thinning. Okay, it's, it's thinning. Uh, I'm always shocked. You see it, but when I when I see myself from behind, sometimes I'm like, "Whoa, who's that guy?" Oh, I am getting a bald spot, just like my old man. He's got a, got a gold bald spot, and I'm um, not particularly excited about the process. But I can't do much about it either. I just get older. I get slower. I have Achilles problems. It's harder putting on some weight. I need to trim down. A lot of things that just kind of come with old age. Metabolism slows down. But by God's grace, you all, both of you guys can experience that as well. As you get older, as you gain years of ministry experience, you'll gain more respect as you start to turn gray. And uh, there'll be less of this tendency for people to despise you for your youth. And the way to combat this is by setting yourself an example of those who believe. Proverbs 20 verse 11 says, Even a child makes himself known by his acts by whether his conduct is pure and upright. So even a child can be known by whether they're walking in righteousness or not, by whether they're walking in wisdom or not. And that's exactly the the flavor of what Paul is saying, that though, Timothy, though you are young, live in such a way that overcomes the hurdle of your youth. And so, Brian and Ryan, I just encourage you to focus your attention upon the early years of your ministry, upon speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So regarding your speech... Just kind of shortly go through each of these. Know, know that ministry is about words. It's, a talking, it's, it's about taking the word of God and bringing it to bear upon the lives of people, rebuking them and encouraging them and exhorting them. 1 Timothy 4, verse 11, command and teach these things. Those are words. 1 Timothy 4, 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching Those are words. And in your ministry, in your speech, I just say, let your words be few. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. But let your your words be well chosen, 
Proverbs 16.24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And let your words be life-giving. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So calculate well your speech. Also, your conduct. Just talking about how you live. Seek the Lord with all your heart. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Christ with all your heart. Seek the Lord. Right? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That, that, that's just conduct. That's just, that's just all in. When, when Paul counseled Timothy, he said in verse 15, he says, Practice these things. He says, Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your, your progress. And I just encourage you to immerse yourself in the work of the ministry. But remember, right, work begins at home. A large part of your ministry is Jody and Tina. Because if Jody and Tina aren't right and your marriage isn't right, your ministry is done. And your kids play a huge role in that as well. Your, your home gives you credibility to lead. First Timothy 5.3.5 5. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? That is submissive children, delightful children who are, look up to their dads, who want to obey, who, who love. And part of your youth means that you have a family that needs attention and don't neglect your family. Because to think, oh, i got to minister for the Lord, but you miss your family. You've missed the ministry for the Lord is, is your family in that. And that will continue to equip you in your conduct, in your love. And I simply say this, right? That is the second part of the greatest commandment, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Right? To, to give yourself to other people, not yourself. Reflect upon the love of Jesus. There's where the, the motivation comes, is that he gave himself for us. First Timothy 1 15, Paul says this, says this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He knew the love of God that came into the world to save him. And if you read the the surrounding verses, verses 12 through 17, you just see that Paul knows his own sin. It, it, It knew how wicked he was and knew how loving God was was to him and how gracious he was to him. And, and as a result of that, he lived a thankful life. Verse 12, I thank God who's given me strength in Christ Jesus, my Lord. He, he lived a worshipful life, verse 17, to the King of kings, King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And what God has done in loving us ought to be our power to love other people. Meditate on 1 Corinthians 13 about the things of love, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things. Of anything ministry, those four phrases, love, hopes all things, bears all things, believes all things, and there's one more I missed it. Um, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, and there's a, and was it? Endures all things. And you just got to do that. Ministry, I talked before in recent days, is you just, you're target times. And you just need to believe the best. So why did they, why did they do that to you? Well, you just believe the best about them. And, and, and endure in your love. Just encourage that. Regarding your, your faith, I just say cultivate it. Cultivate your faith daily. Give yourself to cultivating 
the faith. Look, look at chapter 4 um, and verse 6. If you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Here it is. Being trained on the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have been followed that you have followed. It's the, the cultivating daily of a faith. It's, it's through the Word of God. Just you consume it consistently. Listen to it. Um, watch it. Read it. Hear it. Whatever. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Let it train you in the ways of, of faith. You know, Acts 6 speaks about, just in the early church, the apostles were, were doing too much stuff, and they said, we need to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Devote yourself to prayer. Set your minds on the things above. Set your mind on the hope. Right? Chapter 4, verse 10. To this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And the, the way to cultivate faith is to have this hope in the living God who is our Savior. And He saves all those who believe. Cultivate that. And finally, regarding purity, know that your greatest blessing in your life comes as you walk in righteousness and holiness. Um, after Romans, <clears throat> my plan to preach is to preach some things in Proverbs, Proverbs 1 through 9, talking about children, addressing children uh, here at church, um, just with regards to ch- children's training manual. We have so many kids, we need to address that. And then we're going to jump into the book of Acts. And so I've been working to memorize the evangelistic sermons in Acts. And uh, at the end of the evangelistic sermon in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter's speaking... To the men of Israel, he says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. But I've just been meditating on that and that that God raised up his servant, Jesus, and he sent him to the Jews first as a blessing. And what's the blessing? The blessing is to turn you from your wickedness, because turning from wickedness and walking in purity is a blessed life. I remember well the the quote of Robert Murray McShane. He wrote to a ministerial student who was going off to to Germany to study German so he can read the theologians, the German scholars. And he said this, this is a famous quote of McShane. He says, I know that you will apply hard to German, but do not forget the culture of your inner man, and I mean of the heart. How diligently the Calvary officer keeps his saber clean and sharp, every stain he rubs off with the greatest of care. Remember, you are God's sword, his instrument, I trust, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents that God blesses, so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. And you hear what McShane is saying. He's saying, of all the things that will help you in ministerial success, it's your purity. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. Awful just meaning powerful, like it's to inspire awe. And that's who you'll be as you, as you uh, seek purity in your life. But, but there's another reason why I bring up McShane. is because of the huge impact that he had on his church and upon the church at large. He pastored a church in Dundee, Scotland. And, and we know this uh, of his piety and, and his love for his people is what he's known for. But he pastored that church for only seven years because he died at age 29. He died younger than both of you guys are. But he made a great impact. His, his friend Andrew Bonar published his diary and his sermon manuscripts have been made public and they have made a great impact to this day. He used to say, live to be missed. And he was missed. 
And here was a man in his youth, greatly used of God that no one despised because of his youthfulness. I have another youthful man, um, Jim Elliott. Right? We, we know of him. He died at age 28 in 1956 when he went to the Wadrani tribe of Indians in, in Ecuador. He reached an unreached people group. He was reaching after them who were known for their violence. And at age 28, he was speared on the beach, January 8, 1956. And he lived out his maxim. Remember what it is? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And he has stirred a missionary spirit and zeal in America after his generation. In the 1950s, 60s, people went to the mission field because of Jim Elliott, who in his youth gave himself wholly to God. Um, I got another, oops, I got another example of a young man, David Brainerd. He too died young. He died age 29 from bronchitis. And... Um, he ministered to the American Indians. He wasn't well-known in his life. But what made him well-known is where he died. Anyone know where he died? He died in the home of Jonathan Edwards. And Edwards was there and watched him die. He was a pious man. And um, he then got hold of his diary. And Edwards started reading his diary and said, this has to be published. It was never intended to be published. This has to be published. And so Edwards, with his stature and ability and, and connections, published his diary, and it has inspired countless pastors to devotion to Jesus. David Sweeney recently um, put together a documentary about his life. And here's the impact of what he said Brainerd has made. He said, it's hard to communicate to those who have not read the book but Brainerd's commitment to the love of God and to neighbor is astounding and inspiring. Even when readers have decided they disagree with Brainerd or, or wish that he would have taken better care of himself physically and emotionally, they have usually concluded that they want to be more like him in his willingness to sacrifice his own creature comforts for the sake of other people. And he died at 29 and has had so much of an impact upon the world, upon many pastors I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, talked about David Brainerd. Boom. Yep, he's read that book and been extremely inspired. And in fact, I remember reading McShane's Remains and David Brainerd's remain, uh, diary when I was 29, figuring that they died at 29. <laughs> Let me die at 29. I missed Jim Elliott. I should have read that when I was 28. Just uh, these these young men. And I, I share these stories not, not because they died young, but because they didn't have an impact in their old age. Uh, because they died young, they had an impact in their youth. And so you too can make an impact in your youth. And never think that youth is a hindrance to any ministry. So press on in, in speech, in love, in conduct, in faith, and purity. And one last thing, though. Just, just remember the source from which this comes. Uh, your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity all come by the, the grace of God. That's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So maybe the grace of Christ Jesus that is working in you that foster these things in your life. And the good news is this, that you're doing well. I mean, the fact that I called every family in the church and they all gave a, an overwhelmingly positive affirmation of, of you, you all. And think about that. 
Think about those words that I read about the commendation of people. How, how the people in this church think about you two. You're great guys. Right? You're godly. They're 100% behind you. And so this is not a hostile crowd. This is a friendly crowd. You have many, many people here who've seen you and observed you and affirmed you. And um, I just want to affirm you as well as great friends. I just uh, love our times together, whether it's with you all, whether it's with your wives, and we've been able to gather uh, just formally and informally just to be together and uh, look forward to a, just a genuine, loving relationship-driven elder board. And so now what I want to do is just lay hands on you guys and pray for you. That's what verse 14 says. That was done to Timothy. Don't neglect the gift which you have, which is given to you by the prophecy of the council of elders when they laid hands on you. I'm not sure a prophecy is going to come today or you're going to receive any gift today, but we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. And so why don't you guys come on up um, I want to get the piano bench here, maybe, and uh, why don't you guys come on up. I'll have you guys sit on the piano bench. One thing. Go ahead. So there was one issue. I thought Steve was going to mention it, but um, they're both Packers fans, so they're not perfect, but we're working through that whole situation. So. Uh, well, uh, that was a comment by, by one of you who said, uh, yeah, they're both Packers fans, but uh, we'll... That's still okay. So you guys got over that from a Bears fan in our midst. So I should have read that one. I didn't. Um, but let me just ask you guys a question, right? Is this, by the grace of God, is your desire to serve as an elder at Rock Valley Bible Church, paying special attention to your speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, setting example for all to follow? Yes. Okay, good. How about you guys sit down? Darren and I will. And Father, was on that speaking to those in Ephesus, uh, the, the elders there who had great emotional uh, love for one another. They, they cried because they thought they would never see one another again because their emotional bond was strong. Um, God, just thank you even for my own emotions here, just thinking about these men and what they have meant to me and uh, just the the way that I have known them for a decade and they've grown, God, just to the path of that, we are, are thankful. And, and I would pray, even as Paul prayed, just commending them to God and the word of his grace. God, not, not commending them to, to me or influence that I have had, per se, over them, but commending them to you and commending them to the scriptures, God, that alone God guides us and teaches us in the way in which we should go. I pray that you would protect them Help them with their marriages. Help them with their families. Help them to, to allocate their time in such a way that is such that they are immersed in these things and that people in the congregation here see their progress, God, their progress in the faith. And uh, Lord, would pray uh, in your kindness that you would, God, allow us four, God, really to serve this church well, God, to do what we can to extend and to, to labor, to be spend and be spent. God, for the ultimate good of these people whom we know and love. And would pray, God, your, your strength uh, on this task. Thank you for this day. This day has come after almost nine months. Um, God, really after almost 10 years, really after 20 years. God, just building a cohesive elder board would pray you would bless these things. Um, bless us immensely. Bless our church because we know we need your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.